This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly, our first chance this season to get nostalgic about the Carabao Cup box and look ahead to a weekend of Premier League action on the eve of the transfer deadline. Sheffield United get ready for the weekend by being dumped out by Lincoln at home while their opponents Everton squeeze past bottom of League 2 Doncaster. Could we see the worst football match ever at this level? Big game of the weekend at the Emirates as Arsenal hosts really need a left-back Manchester United and Sufati bound Brighton versus Newcastle also jumps off the page. Chelsea had to come from behind to be AFC Wimbledon, a big enough scare for Todd Bowley to think about bringing in Ivan Tony, Cole Palmer, Jao Polinia, the whole of Sporting Lisbon. They're up against Forrest, who are clinging hold of Brennan Johnson. He might go to Spurs, who went out on penalties to Fulham. Reserve team Angeball is not as good as Angeball Angeball. There's the Mo Salah to Saudi rumour that won't go away, and Matthias Nunes is on strike. Elsewhere, Rangers limp out of the Champions League to PSV, including a sensational no-look back-pass own goal. There'll be much more on the French prophet Jean Le Baptiste. All that, plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Week. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hello, Max. Uh, hello, John Bruin. Hello, Max. And hello, Lars Sivardson. Good morning, Max. Uh, so, look, let's let's look ahead to the Premier League games while sort of covering uh, the games they played in the EFL Cup, if they did play in the EFL Cup. And we'll start with a basement battle, Sheffield United v Everton, uh, Everton versus Doncaster last night looked very much like I was just watching like a Cambridge game on iFollow. It was just like there's not a Premier League team on the pitch at the moment, but they won it very late uh, despite being pretty awful. Doncaster bottom of League Two, uh, one point from five games. Sheffield United meanwhile lost at home on penalties to Lincoln uh, after drawing nil nil. Um, and actually, from the intro, I, I, I stole Barry producer Joel's line. It's, is this about to be the lowest quality game the Premier League has ever seen? I'd say there's a lot of stiff competition and not necessarily competition featuring the kind of teams that Sheffield United and Everton are. It could be a very good game of football. It could be diabolically bad. Everton's win over Doncaster. I kind of fancied Doncaster. I guess everyone did a bit, but... Everton prevailed despite going behind, actually scored two goals. So, you know, you'll take anything you can get at this stage. So they're they're into the next round. I I find it difficult to forecast how this will go. I was quite impressed with Sheffield United last weekend. And they have home advantage and Everton aren't very good. So yeah, I suppose you go for a Sheffield United win to to further pile more misery on Everton. But yeah, it, it could be a terrible nil-nil draw, couldn't it? Hmm. I mean, you think Lars Everton will be... Everton, I mean, they both need something. But just watching Everton yesterday and, you know, by the end of the game, they had some, you know, they had quite a lot of... A lot of their first team were on the pitch, I'm pretty sure. And you think, God, oh, this is pretty bleak. Yeah, they did get two goals. So the the magic of the cup is is alive and well. It's, it seems to be, you know, anything can happen. No, on on a on a semi serious note, um, I was watching Rangers PSV to be honest, but watching the highlights and reading about the game, uh, it it seems like Beto, their their big striker, came on and and made a difference. And again, not having seen this game, but having watched him in Serie A a few times, he seems like a very sort of. Uh, 
Sean Dyche-ian type of man. You know, he's he's quite big. Uh, he, he works hard. He's quite physical. He puts himself about. And I think with uh, Dominic and Calvert-Lewin having all these physical problems, not being able to stay fit, you do need a tall boy uh, up front of some description for, for the whole Dyche thing to work. And uh, I think him coming in, how they've structured that deal, I don't know. From the outside, I would suspect not a lot of that money is up front. Um, but they've managed to get him through the door. He's come on. He scored an important goal and made a difference. Yes, it was against Doncaster, but that's a, that's a positive thing. I'm, look, I'm looking for positives for Everton. Yeah, you should. I mean, a tall boy, you know, <laughs> the chest of drawers. A lot of Everton strikers could be compared to, to, to one of those in, in recent history. Yes, Beto, who is not the really amiable guy who keeps almost becoming the governor of Texas, uh, signed from... Udinese, a deal worth up to 30 million, scored 10 goals in Serie A last year, uh, six foot four. And I mean, he could be the answer, John. I mean, Neil Mopai came on again and kept having shots blocked. I was, I was like, I was watching this game and I was more desperate for him to score than I was for Doncaster to win. <laughs> Poor old Neil Mopay. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a common theme, isn't it? Yeah, from, from what I saw of Beto, he is doing that. He's fulfilling the hit Dom role that Sean Dyche needs. Um, and uh, let's hope, if he only got 10 Serie A goals, let's hope he hasn't used up one of his Premier League goals uh, in scoring against Doncaster. Uh, the other goal was scored by Dan Juma, uh, who I think, or Dan Juma, I think it's one of those players that is a good player to have around if you're in a relegation battle because he's a soloist and he is one of those players that can find some inspiration. Um, obviously, was at Bournemouth a few years ago and was at Tottenham last season. And as the uh, Conte uh, regime started falling apart, Dan Juma looked quite decent and up for it, unlike the rest of his colleagues at that point. Um, and I think if you can keep him interested, uh, he's the type of player that, that, that could spell some sort of... Um, well, hope it is at this point, isn't it, for Everton already after three matches of the season and only just beating the worst team in the league. I suppose, are, are we to say that this is the darkest hour before the dawn? Mm, possibly, possibly not. Sheffield United against Everton. I agree with Joel's uh, summation of this. It, it, it does look a very low-amped game. Um, let's see what happens. We were saying last on Match of the Day, are we? There's a lot riding on it. I think so. I think I think Brentford Bournemouth has got that covered. Is my is my guess? But look, <laughs> mm-hmm. you never you you never know. Yes, just just going back to Neil Mopé, who I'm increasingly obsessed with. Yeah, and his inability with. to score. And uh, I mean, you're right. It was interesting. He couldn't even get in Everton's second string lineup. Maybe there's a transfer looming in the next twenty four hours or whatever. But, to Doncaster. <laughs> maybe, if they'd have him. And I just wonder if Neil Mopé is out now and he meets some girl who takes his fancy and she doesn't know who he is. Does he actually admit, I am a footballer? Because, Or does he just go full Costanza and say, oh, I'm an importer, exporter or something? Because if, if I was Neil Mopé and I told someone who didn't know me I was a footballer and they started asking me questions... Like, I, I think I'd be embarrassed to, to pretend I'm a footballer at this stage. I, I actually don't know the answer. I can't answer your question, Barry. I don't have a definite answer to your question. I may be being incredibly unfair on him, but his record is 
you know, for a guy who used to be good, he he is no longer can call himself a striker, really. Well, he got thirty-seven in eighty-five for Brentford, and then twenty-six and one hundred and two for Brighton. So he's sort of going that way. But Brighton, famously, you know, were sort of XG maybe down to him, just you know, were creating more chances than they should have done. But uh, no, they weren't scoring as many goals as chances they were creating. And then to Everton, he's fallen off a cliff. I, I guess the point being, Everton have not created any chances for him. He does seem to miss a lot of chances. No, that's a good, that's a good point, isn't it? Um, anyway. And actually, Barry, you make a good point about Sheffield United. They played really well against Manchester City. This will obviously be a very different game and they'll actually have the ball, you imagine, at, at times. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with it. Um, Arsenal, Manchester United, neither in cup action this week. Biggest game of the weekend. It's fair to say, Lars, neither of them have had a, a particularly convincing start, but they both have like a, a decent number of points. They do. The concern here for for is with Manchester United and their sort of increasing injury list. I mean, there's been some uh, uh, some very bad news on uh, on, on that score uh, with Luke Shaw not being available, with Rafael Varane not being available. You're kind of running out of guys in uh, in defence a little bit, so that that's a concern. Um, I, I would worry more for 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 Man United than than for. Uh, Arsenal, and in this case, I think Mikel Arteta is kind of trying a few bits and pieces to see if they 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 work better. This Mopay and uh, on the brain after all of that. Um, this Thomas Party yes, right back thing, which is um, not worked super well so far. My, it's interesting to see what's happening uh, before the dead deadline closes because I do think United have uh, come around to the idea that they need to bring in another midfielder. Uh, because after the first three games of the Casemiro Mountain, Fernandez triumvirate, I still believe that that could possibly work. I think that would include that that would involve Casemiro being more of a holding player and stop doing the box to box stuff that maybe he doesn't quite have the legs for anymore. And Mountain needs to figure out his role, but could work. But you after three games, you really don't want to bet your season on it working. I think that's fair. So an effort to bring in Amrabat now to have an extra option in that midfield makes just a ton of sense. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, and we'll see what kind of team they have. I mean, well, for the Sunday, it'd be a big, big thing to throw someone straight into it. But uh, certainly, injury problems are a big concern for Manchester United. Has he saw as Amrabat signed? I saw, I saw they were interested in Hoiberg as as well, who would was un- not inspire me, John. No, no. I mean, it, the problem is that Manchester United's signings, as with a few clubs actually, this uh, transfer window where obviously. The COVID winds have blown through and FFP has meant that clubs uh, are rather more restricted than they'd like. So Hoberg or or Amrabat. Now, Amrabat, excellent. Hoberg has a decent Premier League record, but and Jane having him, that's for sure. But And then you've got uh, uh, Cucurella uh, as this emergency left back. Well, if that doesn't spell panic, I, I, I'm not sure what does. Um, of Chelsea's billion pound signings he's the one probably regarded as the grandest flop would you say I mean because they did spend 60 million on him and yet United are trying to do a deal because their left back crisis is so bad yeah it's again uh, with Manchester United they they always seem that has been this thing that they always seem to panic late in the transfer window at the moment or the last 10 years and I think that's what we're going to see again and you know you can expect Protest from fans because 
they the team hasn't delivered and the, the well the recruiting team hasn't delivered what the what the actual team on the pitch needs. And uh, as regards Arsenal, uh, those little funny those funny things that uh, Arteta is playing around with. Just the party thing as a right back. Why? Why? What's going on with Gabriel? There's some quite strange things going on there. I think early season experimentation, sure. But this is the Premier League where you've got a team, if you want to win the league, and that's Arsenal's stated ambition, you've got a team in Manchester City that are going to win every week and you can't really mess around. Uh, and that Fulham performance was was pretty poor. And I think, and the the seeds of that were in, as far as I could gather, tactical confusion. So, if we're trying to sort of uh, um, immerse ourselves into the mind of Mikel Arteta, uh, I would sort of think, may I, I think the, well, the hypothesis would be that the the party thing is because he wants to play a sort of back four that becomes a back three with someone stepping into midfield and Zinchenko hasn't been available. I understand that, but it, it, it's not the right player, though. That's, that's what no, I'm I, I, mean, I, I, I would agree. I mean, maybe Ben White, uh, who's played as a holding midfielder before and is a yeah, very yeah. good sort of... Yeah, that, that would kind of make more sense to me. Yeah. I'm always hesitant of, like, when these incredibly smart managers who know all the tactics and all the things and see the players in training every week when they decide something that I think looks absurd. I, I kind of don't like to sit here and contradict them because they know more than I do, but I'm I'm kind of with Bruin on this. I, having watched it for three games, I'm like, I don't see how the party doesn't look very comfortable. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. When you um when you wanted us to step into the mind of Mikel Arteta, did you want us to step outside of our virtual technical areas at the same time or or not because it seemed a, a key part when i was really channeling my inner arteta i wanted to upset richard keys at the same time <laughs> barry how do you how do you see this game going i think arsenal will win this comfortably um and i, I don't really have anything more to add beyond what the two chats <laughs> have said I, I, but i yeah. i do see a comfortable arsenal win all right uh, brighton newcastle you said on the pod monday Baz, that a defeat against Brighton, the tide could start to bracket slowly turn against Eddie Howe. I think the tide slightly is turning already. Now, mm. I'm only going on social media. so Okay, well, that's a, your first mistake. Yes, but that's kind of all I have to go on. You could get a train to Newcastle and talk to fans at the club shop. I could, yes. And invariably, when reporters go to club shops to interview fans, Premier League club shops, the fans are start jabbering away in an Irish accent. So I can, <laughs> I can just go home. <laughs> they're, either, they're always from Norway in in, in Newcastle as well. That's, of course. Because it used to, be a, used to be a boat that went between the two. There's yep. a lot of... Been on it, been on it more than once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, this, I, I, yeah, this is a fascinating game. Uh, Brighton obviously got beaten last week but uh, both teams got beaten last weekend Brighton are at home we know how good both teams can be and we both know both teams are capable of shockers on their day and both of them you well I thought Brighton played well actually last weekend despite getting a bit of a hiding um Newcastle had a an awful day at the office when in their defeat against Liverpool but yeah going back to what I was saying that on social media uh, where fans tend to be rather more hysterical than those uh, who go to the games and live in the area. Uh, there does seem to be a bit of a Eddie Howe backlash. 
And that sense of entitlement that Newcastle fans have always claimed they don't have seems to be creeping in a bit now that they've got loads of money to spend and Mike Ashley is gone. And I think if they were to lose this game, there would be further murmurings of disquiet. Uh, They may well win. It should be an excellent game. And I'm looking forward to it. Do you think Newcastle should play like West Ham played last? I don't think they have that in them. But like that, West Ham did a job on Brighton, and and that's quite a good thing to do if you want to win. It, it is, and I think it was such an interesting tactical matchup that because we know that what Brighton like to do is to tempt teams into pressing them, and then they have a way of getting through that press. And West Ham were like, "Well, good for you. We're just not going to do that, are we? We're going to kind of sit back." And and they made it much more difficult for them to get through. Uh, Newcastle tend to play much more on the front foot, um, tend to want to get in the opponent's face uh, uh, and uh, and be aggressive. And, and you would think that that would, in a sense, play to Brighton's strength in the sense that that's what Brighton usually want teams to do to them so they can play through them. But of course, Newcastle are, they have quite a lot of aggression, athleticism and, and ability to press. So it might be that they just stop Brighton's build-up. I mean, it's a very fascinating game. Uh, I do think with the Eddie Howe thing, there have been two games now where, listen, losing away to Man City by one goal is not a terrible result. Losing to Liverpool, you know, it can happen. But there were two games where you both kind of expected them to go for it a little bit more. You know, Man City, as you'll remember, were in that sort of situation where they'd played in the Super Cup in Greece and and Pep was all worried and they were tired and, and things were not good. And, and and Liverpool, of course, went down to 10 men. So, so there were both situations where you thought, okay, Newcastle could, could really go for it here, could go out and be aggressive and go for the jugular. And they were kind of, they were a little bit passive and safe and sort of meek in both games. And so obviously easier said than done and, and very, very easily said from a comfy chair uh, where I'm sat. But I was just kind of... Lads, you're not a random mid-table team anymore. You're the sort of Saudi-backed uh, Champions League uh, team of the Northeast. Um, kind of expecting a little bit more in those situations. Lars, can I ask you one more question, which is about Ansu Fati? Apparently, Brighton are closing in on a deal with him, and Fati you know, deserve has been a key factor in Fati going there. What, what kind of Ansu Fati are they getting? Because presumably Barcelona wouldn't offload peak Ansu Fati to Brighton. Yeah, so hopefully we'll have Sid on at some point to speak into more detail. But the sort of short version of it, I believe, is that he has been hampered quite badly by injuries uh, to the point where he's not uh, he's not going to be starting too many for, for Barcelona. But he does seem to be a player who could do with a reset. Extraordinarily gifted, of course, as we as we remember. If he can stay healthy and, and can get games, then there's a tremendous upside there. And and Brighton obviously playing very good football, increasingly developing a reputation for for developing players and improving them, seems like a good place for him to go and to to do that. Uh, Luton play West Ham. Finally, we get to see the new and improved Kenilworth Road. Uh, they beat Gillingham three two in the cup. Couple of scored a couple of absolute bangers in that game. Mark says with both Luton and West Ham recently registering very low possession stats, will the ball just remain still in the middle of the pitch for long periods? <laughs> it would be great. Um, <laughs> and West Ham, West Ham have. Certainly, I mean, Barry predicted them to get relegated. I did. I can't remember if you did, John, but you must be surprised with how well they started. I, 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 I took no part in this. Oh, I took right. no part in this. No, 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 no. 
Well, I, I, I actually, I was at the Brighton West Ham game last weekend, and uh, David Moyes afterwards said uh, that he and David Moyes often does this uh, is that he tempered you know the, the great victory by saying we could have played better football in that game, and while I agree they played the right football for for playing Brighton, which was and this is the problem, and this is the problem we're facing West Ham now. That on the quiet, West Ham have actually got quite a good team. Particularly in midfield now, um, Edson Alvarez. You see the midfielder last year; he looked really, really good. And he's like Declan Rice, except without Declan making those runs into midfield. Uh, they got to keep Paqueta for reasons that we probably shouldn't discuss too closely. He's an excellent player. Uh, ben Rama, a player that I don't think um, Moisey fancies that much, did supply that brilliant goal for Jared Bowen. And then you've got Antonio. And if Antonio is Mikel Antonio, as Mikel Antonio can be, then no one can stop him. Uh, so they're, they're, they're a really, really good team when, when they get on it. And remember, these are Europa Conference League. And that's a club that I've watched a lot of West Ham since I came to London 20-odd years ago. I've never seen a club so flush with confidence as it is now. Um, the, the, the fans are really enjoying it. Um, and... Despite the fact that there was this whisper that David Moyes might move, step away at the, at the, at, at, over the summer, uh, well sourced, I'm told, uh, Moyes is doing a good job there. Yeah, I had them tenth. I had them tenth in my predictions. So I was kind of surprised that everyone was sending them down, um, just because. Yeah, there's some un- uncertainty there about the new recruitment guru and Moyes, and does he get on? And there was all this stuff. But it's brilliant saying at the end of the day, they have really good players. And I think the fact that Moisey appears to be going back to basics now, uh, that's the impression we have so far anyway, is that we're, they had the failed experiment last season of trying to play a bit more football, and that didn't work out at all. Seems to be back to basics Moisey now. We're going to do low block, we're going to focus on transitions and set pieces and use all the sort of physical power that's in the team. Let's not forget that brought them league finishes of sixth and seventh before last season, right? They were they were a solid top half team for two seasons doing it that way. It might not be everyone's idea of how football should be played, but it's been working for them, and it's something they have the tools to do. You know, James Ward Prowse is going to get like a ton of assists from set pieces and and this sort of thing. I I, I just think it'll be fine and it'll it'll tick along and they'll get decent results most of the time. And we're also not used to West Ham spending well. Because I think all of us, we know West, you know, as I said, I know West Ham. West Ham get money in the pocket, you think, oh no, where is this going? I mean, we obviously go back to the Rio Ferdinand money 20 odd years ago, but you just think, oh, they're going to waste this. And in James Ward, Prowse and, and Edson, they haven't. They've bought no. two really, really good players. And Kudasin as well from Ajax, who's a really. Yeah, good absolutely. Player. Yeah. Well, again, the thing is, Max, we, we, we always talk about Kudus, and finally we're going to see him in the Premier League. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This guy has been floating around the transfer market for years, and finally he should be made flesh yeah. in a Premier League stadium. Absolutely right. And, and, when he, and when he does his first assist, it can be kudos to kudos. That's all we yeah, have. Right? Very, very, very good. Then, then he may leave. It's, it's probably <laughs> worth mentioning, Max, that Luton are playing in this match as well. And I just wonder, will... The Kenilworth Road factor have any influence? Oh, because yeah. I imagine it's a Friday night game. It's the only Premier League game on the Friday. I would ima- say quite a few of the doyens of the football press box will be muddying their spats in Le- uh, at Kenilworth Road. 
and we'll get lots of misty-eyed, possibly condescending match reports and sidebars the following day uh, as as top-flight football returns to this um, well hovel <laughs> for, for the first time in thirty years. Yeah, I'm not a massive massive moment for their fans, right? I mean, that is, it is, of that, course, yes, you know, the, absolutely. The noise should be. Uh, yeah, maybe it will make a difference. We will find out when we. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, more Premier League preview in part two. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Joe writes from Hamilton Island. I noticed on the graphics for the Football Weekly live tour that Max and Barry will be playing at the Royal College of Northern Music rather than the Royal Northern College of Music that they played last year. I presume this is because the College of Northern Music has a much bigger capacity to accommodate all the fans who missed out last time. But it got me thinking about what kind of things they teach at the Royal College of Northern Music. Do they have lectures on how to monkey walk like Ian Brown? Seminars on how to dance like bears? Or just classes on how to be... A total bellend like Liam Gallagher. I mean, some people like Liam Gallagher, of course. Uh, anyway, good luck with the date and the rest of the tour. Thank you, Joe. Uh, yeah, we are going on tour. Uh, 13th of November, we're in London. We can announce the lineups now. Uh, 13th, Ellis James, Troy Townsend, Philippe Claire uh, join me and Barry. Um, the 14th in Bristol, which is almost sold out, is me, Baz, Mark Langdon, and Jordan Jarrett Bryan. Uh, Manchester on the 15th. John, you're coming to that, aren't you? I am, yes. Good stuff. Uh, with Nader Manuha. And the Will Unwin anecdote. Well, that's huge. Um, uh, 20th in Dublin is sold out, but the 21st, still a few tickets left for me, Barry. Lars, you're coming to Dublin? Yep, 100%. Okay, I hope you have a nice chat with that guy by the, the fruit machines. <laughs> 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 like yes. last time. Uh, Jonathan Wilson with us as well in Dublin. And then the 22nd of November in Brighton, Johnny Lou and Nikki Bandini. That the one is being streamed around the world. Uh, go to theguardian.com slash fwtour23. Unfortunately, the tickets are selling quite fast. So uh, get in there while you can. Uh, we also have a book out. So I'm only fleecing you. I mean, I apologize. But if you could buy the book as well, that would be great. Guardianbookshop.com slash football. Chelsea play Forest. Uh, they beat um, Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon 2-1 last night to come from behind. Bring a few of the big guns on. They've got quite a favourable run out that game against Luton they had. And they've got Forest at home. Obviously, Forest not very good away. Bournemouth, Villa, Fulham, Burnley. But still, Barry, the, the transfer rumours for Chelsea, are sort of, I just don't, I still don't quite, I don't know why they're trying to get all these footballers. And they've got all these footballers. Emil Smith-Rowe, Ivan Tony, <laughs> Cole Palmer, they've agreed a deal for. Apparently, they want Paulinho from Fulham. I mean, they can't get all of them. I don't think, but well, maybe they can, Max. <laughs> I mean, who's to say they can't? I mean, Ivan Tony seems an obvious purchase. Uh, when he can't play, he, can't, he can't play. So ideal for Chelsea. <laughs> absolutely perfect. <laughs> but at least they'll hone him, and somebody else won't, or everybody else won't. I'm not sure what's going on there. It's either some fiendishly clever scheme, or absolute lunacy it is interesting that they're able to splurge or if if the rumors that they're signing cole palmer are true and there's every chance they may have signed him by the time this pod is released into the world that will take their spending under the new regime on transfers to over a billion quid which is a lot of money by any standards and they've recently upset their 
travelling fans who were the hardcore of the support by removing a £10 bus subsidy that will cost them 250 grand a season. It seems such a, a misstep and a PR disaster. It's insane, it's isn't it? Amazing. But they obviously don't care about their travelling fans and you have to, to wonder why. Maybe they're deliberately trying to antagonise their travelling fans because it's it when things start to go wrong, uh, as they have done in the last year or so, it's it's those fans who will be the most vocal and have the most influence. So if they, you know, treat them with contempt, it's it's clearly not about the money, and it's clearly a minor brushstroke in a much bigger picture. But it 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 seems to be a statement: we don't care about you, and you know we're taking your tenor bus subsidy off you. So suck it off. Give us your bus fare. It's so it looks like a school bully. It's it seems mad. Can you last put any rationale to the footballing? Is it just Pochettino likes these players, doesn't like these players, and because where's Cole Palmer going to play? I mean, that's exactly the position they've got. Like a, a bunch of players already. They don't have actually that many. I think this is the thing. I, when I see all these memes on the internet, going, "Oh, Chelsea, they've got so many players." People got to bear in mind they have actually let a few go. Now, in no particular order, they've sold Kai Havertz, Mason Mounts, Mateo Kovacic, Kalidou Koulibaly, Christian Pulisic, Edouard Mendy, Robin Loftus-Cheek, Ethan Ampadu, Romelu Lukaku has gone out on load. So has Kepa, Rizabalaga, and Golo Kante has left. Cesar Aspilicueta has left. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has left. Uh, Hakim Ziyech has gone out on loan. Uh, so, so quite a Lewis Hall as well has gone, uh, and as has David Atrid Fofana out on loan. Bakayoko, who incredibly was still there, mm-hmm. uh, has has left. You know, a lot of guys has left this football club. And I did this last week. I actually sat down and looked at the players they have and tried to sort of set them up. And they have pretty much two players for each position, which is what all ambitious Premier League clubs end, end up with. And Cole Palmer, I mean, if you look at the... He'll, he'll be part of that sort of... Um, I mean, the, the formation at Chelsea seems to be, broadly speaking, a sort of 3-4-3 three, three thing, though, with one of the wingbacks so far forward, blah, 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 blah. But they have two players behind... The striker, Raheem Sterling, logically would be one of them. When he's fit again, you'd think Nkunku would be the other. But for that spot, it's sort of Madweke, Chukumeka, I guess, can play there. But there's not like a ton of players lining up to play that role anymore because uh, they've let quite a few of them go. So I guess the thinking is he'll get minutes in that sense. And broadly speaking, I'm sure short term there might be some potential FFP issues here. But big picture wise... You know, younger players are almost always less expensive than you think because their wages are usually lower and you spread the cost over a longer period of time and they have a potential sell-on value. Whereas older players with high wages are always much more expensive to the club than you think. So, so it does seem a bit mad and it's possible they've gone too big on this, but I think the principle of making the squad younger, trying to bring the wage bill down, getting rid of the slightly older high earners that they had on the books... And it does make some kind of sense. And then the question is, can Pochettino turn them into a team? And a squad that, as as Wilson has pointed out, is a little bit short on experience, is a little bit short on leaders. That's the real question here, I think. Mm. And will he get the time to do it, given how young the players are? Um, just a note on that um, that bus, uh, stealing your bus fare. Uh, the Chelsea Supporters Trust has decided to part fund the cost of away travel to Bournemouth on this one occasion. They'll subsidise the cost from the quoted £29 to £10 to highlight the appalling decision 
and to give the club additional time to fully reassess the feedback received from user groups. It appears that during a cost of living crisis, Chelsea FC are happy to increase the financial burden on many supporters by penny pinching. Uh, the club have been approached for comment. Um, other rumours, obviously uh, on Monday, we'll talk through the real highs and lows of the transfer window. Bayern Munich are interested in Conor Gallagher. Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi has gone on loan to Forest. Was Chelsea Forest, was that the game that Chelsea finally won when Lampard hadn't won any football matches? I can't. Can't remember because I remember looking at their games, going, "Well, Forest at home is the game they should win." It, it's something that Chelsea have done in the transfer market, and it's something that City are doing with Cole Palmer, which is you sell off your young players. And this is uh, this is something I'm I, I to write about uh, for the paper, which is about how the, the FFP market. Maybe it's the maybe it's the fact that uh, that COVID leeway has come to an end, but clubs have suddenly started looking for a way to increase their FFP. And it just seems that they're all cashing out young players because they're pure profit on this balance sheet, profit and loss, whichever one it is. And so a, a player like Cole Palmer, um, who, who clearly, by the sounds of it, thinks he needs to needs a move to get a place in the team, or a, a player like um, Lewis Hall, are just cashed out for, for these big sums when they've barely played much football. And it's like, and it just seems that football transfers are like this movement of young players, and I'm a bit uncomfortable because, as far as I remember, the best teams are those teams where a club's youth team has come together with other star players and produced and pushed to win things. And you think about Barcelona, uh, you think about AC Milan in the eighties, you think about Manchester United, you think about Liverpool, who was a slightly different thing where they actually bought. Uh, young players from around the, the lower divisions and move them in. That is completely gone now. What a lot of a club like Manchester, a club like Chelsea is trying to win things with another club's young players, where they've got loads of young players. Yeah, I was about to say then. You know, if that if that carried on, if you're like an academy player at sort of fourteen, fifteen, you want to go to a club that you don't want to play for, right? You want to go to a really good academy, but at a club you don't want to end up at because you're going to be sold for FFP reasons when you're eighteen. And that just seems to what happens. And you know, like Chelsea for years under Roman Abramovich, one of the ways that they uh, you know, nudged and nerdled their way through FFP was to sell young players. There's that golden generation of players, you know, which Tammy Abraham was one. But now it's gone supernova. And even Manchester City are doing it. They're selling a goalkeeper, James Trafford, 15 million, who has not played a game for them. And it's it's it, it, it's just this underlying market. That's what the, 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 the market at the moment is underpinned by these deals. I find it, I find it weird and I find it strange that clubs should be so willing to cash out young players. And I wonder it's whether the football are not owned by people who are local, and so because of globalisation, uh, young players are just seen as an asset rather than something to be the spirit of a club. Yeah, uh, Liverpool Villa, Baz, um, is it ridiculous to suggest Liverpool cash in on Mo Salah? I, I don't think so, no. The money, the figures being bandied about are astronomical. They... I mean, they could certainly do with keeping him. Jurgen Klopp wants to keep him. I don't know if he wants to go or not. We have seen other clubs sell very good players and improve. Uh, West Ham are a case in point. Uh, Brentford haven't sold Ivan Tony yet, but they haven't got him, and they're as good, or if not better, than they were before he was suspended. Uh, obviously, it's early doors yet, but 
I, I don't know what Liverpool fans, how they would react if, if Salah goes in the next day or two, whatever. Clubs can quite happily survive with the loss of, of big star name players. Have Liverpool had the best of Salah? You'd have to say at this point, probably yes, because he's been brilliant. He's been if a top three player in the league for the last five, six years. Are they going to get him better than that? I suspect not, because he's sort of on the way down a little bit. Do you cash out? If you're going to do business with Saudi Arabia, then why not sell him uh, and, and try and rebuild? Because that's what the club needs, is more money in to buy the players. Though, I suppose one of the things that Jürgen Klopp's complained about is the fact the Saudi window closes later and that he won't have those funds to spend. It closes on the 7th September. Some outlets report it to be as late as the 20th. You get the feeling they could just decide when they want it to close, couldn't they? You know. I'm just saying England could also do that. I mean, it's up to you when you oh, close yeah. your transfer windows. I mean, it's it's no more or less sneaky. Uh, it's just the way it is. Is that right? It's not. It's not. It's not Europe wide. No, no, no. Okay. It's just that it doesn't yeah, make yeah. sense to close before or after the rest of the countries you usually do business with because they tried that like one year the premier league and say we're going to close it before the season starts and it turns out closing it while the rest of europe was active for a few more weeks was a terrible idea just put the clubs in a really bad position it'd be probably better for the game if just everyone around europe sort of decided to close it but you do run into the issue of the leagues not all starting at the same time and it's hard to coordinate these things Uh, mark says regarding van dyke's forthcoming suspension for his red card against newcastle and he's being charged by the FA for being angry about it afterwards. Can't Klopp simply go round to the referee's HQ and apologise? Then we all forget it ever happened. You know, like what regularly happens when referees make a mess of things. It's a nice question. Um, Burnley Spurs. Uh, Gilly says, opinion on Spurs putting out reserve side for the League Cup last night. I thought with no Europe on the cards this year, it was a good opportunity for them to go all in on cup competitions. First mistake from Ange, in my opinion, Lars. The, the League Cup is like the, the what's it called? The room of requirement in Harry Potter. Like it is exactly what you want it to be. Like if you go far in the League Cup, it's really important. And it's a cup competition and it's a chance to win a trophy and it's really important and great and fantastic. If you go out early, it's just, ah, whatever. No one really cares about that tournament and it, it gives you more time on the training ground to focus on the stuff that matters. There, there is a case to be made that... Because they're not in Europe, Tottenham, those extra games wouldn't have been a problem for Tottenham this season. And it, it was a chance for them to, you know, to maybe get to a final and, and to win a trophy, albeit one that's less important, but a trophy still. And that it should have been embraced a little bit more wholeheartedly. But they have a big squad. They have squad players who, you know, who you want to give game time uh, to. So I, I, most clubs rotate in the cup. And when they win, it's fine. And when they don't, it shows the terrible lack of priorities and the lack of winning mentality and all the rest of it. I, I don't know. It's just kind of how it goes. Uh, Richarlison scored a goal, so I suppose that's um, good for him. Um, Bayern Munich apparently want Eric Dyer. They can't want. They can't want Eric Dyer, can they? Bayern didn't link with all types of weird and wonderful Premier League players. It just yeah. Thomas Tuchel really did enjoy himself over here, didn't he? I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering that you know. Does he still watch Match of the Day or something like that? Because he really does. He loves his Premier League players, doesn't he? Well, he won't have seen much of Eric Dyer if he's still watching Match of the Day. <laughs> well, very good, very good. <laughs> I I think it was a. I don't know what you think, Max. I'd be interested to hear your opinion as as someone who's a Spurs fan, who's your big team who wins things but consistently doesn't win things and now won't win this year's 
League Cup. But I thought nine changes was a bit excessive. And what Ange said before the game and what he said after the game didn't really tally, you know. Uh, I I reckon Spurs fans are probably not happy at being out of, let's face it, possibly the only competition they have a half reasonable chance of winning before the end of August. It's not good. I think I'm just... I think I'm just so in love with Ange that I agree with whatever he says whenever he says it. And so I've lost all sense of objectivity, but they were pretty flat in that game. Fulham played pretty well and probably should have won it before um, it went to penalties. Nine changes sounds really drastic, but if you look at the lineups, if you look at the lineup, it's not as if the team was like full of goofy weirdos that should be nowhere near the first team. I mean, it is players who are all involved usually. Uh it's not like a bunch of kids he played. He played the guys who are second choice, most of mostly in their positions. And yeah, I I think he just took a gamble and it lost. Okay, he could, you know it was only penalty uh, shootout defeat against a good team. Yeah, and look, Fulham have had a good week, haven't they? They go to City, um, so that might be the end of their good week. But you never yeah. know. Palace play, <laughs> uh, Palace play Wolves. Palace beat Plymouth 4-2 in the League Cup. They were two down. Wolves hammered Blackpool 5-0. Going to be at Palace Wolves, which is a game we went to last season. Uh, and you you realise how quickly certain things change in the Premier League because less than a year ago, the manager was Patrick Vieira. The other manager was... It was actually the interim guy between um, Bruno Large and Lopetegui. I can't remember his name. Uh, the, the classic... The interim guy. Uh, he was like one of the he's one of the he? coaches and uh, uh, Not Terry Connor oh uh, no I know he was Steve was it Steve Davis he was one yeah, he was, well, one Steve, was like Steve really, Davis with he was absolutely yeah, yeah, delighted yeah. to be there wasn't he yeah but it, it, it's one of those classic things where uh, after the match someone always asks the caretaker the job you know do you want the job full time and it's like as, as if this guy is going to get the job and you know with the greatest respect I'm sure he's a, a wonderful coach and like the absolute um you know, bedrock of wolves. That is never going to happen. And of course, they brought in Lopetegui. But um, now we have uh, Roy's, you know, uh, South London swinging entertainers against wolves who are they as bad as we thought they were going to be? I mean, Gary O'Neill has that sort of grit, doesn't he? And yeah, Nunes. Um, Nunes was a player linked with Liverpool at the start of last season, wasn't he? And I think they went pretty hard for him, didn't get him. Uh, and then he, 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 has he scored like one goal? Yeah, one goal, one assist in 34 games. Pep's described him as one of the best players in the world. I think they've, uh, they've accepted a bit of 48 million. Okay, listen. Uh, They're Mopé numbers, aren't they? They're Mopé numbers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, well, the thing is, this is, a, is this one of these Pep experiments where it's like, I can make this guy one of the best players in the world and I will show you this through my genius, the bloke who looked... Uh, okay at Wolves, obviously very skillful, but not no end product. Uh, because the thing is, uh, I had a City fan asking me, because they've sold Gundogan, they're beginning to panic. Manchester, This is how football works these days. Because they've sold Gundogan, Manchester City fans are beginning to panic. They've gotten that they're worrying about where all their goals are going to come from. That's Manchester City fans, remember. Uh, with uh, <laughs> <laughs> They've got this lad up front. He might help you out the few. They've got Julian Alvarez. They've got we, we didn't go through the list of them, but they're saying, "Well, is this guy going to get some goals for us?" Uh, Lars, maybe is his job going to be to get the goals, or is it because 
so they seem to have moved between the, the midfielder that they wanted to move between like a defensive midfielder, and then they were trying to get Paqueta. Do they know what type of player they're trying to get there? Yeah, so I think it's really hard to judge Nunes because he's a very technically gifted player who's played for a quite bad team that has really no semblance of a of a cohesive attacking structure of any kind, really. It seems to be just kind of dribbly boys trying to dribble people and, and, and do something. I can completely, like, in my mind's eye, and giving him a bit of slack because he is clearly a genius, I can see why Guardiola thinks if I put this guy into a system that works, where we actually have the ball quite a lot and get the ball in good positions... This guy has the technical skill to both fit into that system and be useful in it, but I do agree that it's a bit of a leap. Uh, but, but I still, but I still think when it comes to giving people benefit of the doubt in their judgment of players, Guardiola is one of those who I think has kind of earned the right to be for for a little bit of trust. Who was the last flop? I can't think of one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I, I know exactly, and. Similar with Jeremy Ducou, like in terms of goals and assists, I don't think his numbers are incredible, but he's he's an incredible dribbler who will add a little bit of a little bit of something that they lost when Mares left. Some someone who can be a little bit unpredictable and break the pattern a little bit. I think he can do that. So, you know, they're interesting additions, and and City's first eleven is already really good. It's just that the depth isn't amazing anymore. So they want guys who can come and and play you know, fifteen games a season or whatever, and and do a job and, and have an impact now and again. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I agree. We haven't seen that much at Wolves, but I can imagine Nunez slipping into that kind of role. Are there grounds for concern over his professionalism and attitude? Because he was very good against Manchester United. I think it was the next game he got sent off for two absolutely stupid bookings. And now he's on strike, or he's been on strike for the last week or so. I, If I was Pep, I'd be looking at that going, hmm, do I... You know, if he's behaving like that at Wolves, what, who's to say he won't behave like that here? Power to the people. Strike action is a vital part for all the workers, Barry. At The Guardian, no less, you should know that. So I stand yeah. with Matthias Nunes. Okay, uh, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, that'll do for part two. Part three, we will uh, uh, look at the Champions League qualifiers. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Rangers are out of the Champions League. Uh, they uh, lost 7-2 in aggregate to PSE 5-1. Lars watched it, so you didn't have to. I also watched it, so everyone didn't <laughs> have to. Remember, I watched it and Sky asked me to have put the parental lock code in to try and... <laughs> Stop you watching it. <laughs> I got in, it was pretty... It, it was horrible what I saw. Was it? Yeah. I thought you were going to say, was it one, two, three, four? your parents, <laughs> the lock your parents put on for Rangers for Rangers games. The only thing I saw, Lars, was... That's asked me mum, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Connor Goldson's no-look own goal, which is one... It's sad that there was no real close-up of his face. It is an absolutely priceless bit of football, Lars. I mean, even just the... You're 4-1 down in that sort of situation. Why, why are you doing a no-look back pass? That's on the frame as well. It's like the first thing they teach you with the back pass, not not put it between the posts. I know he was pretty far back, so Butlin would have to shift diagonally pretty quickly if he put it on the other outside of the post. But it is just, yeah, a no-look back pass between the posts. is just your, There's so many things going wrong there in terms of things you should absolutely never do. And he kind of dinked it. He kind of like sort of, it wasn't a chip, but like the way he k- 
kicked the ball was also it was very flamboyant. I mean, to be honest, Barry, I'm all for it when you're 4-1 down. It's good to try things. Football's an entertainment business. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure the travelling Rangers fans would agree. I mean, this 5-1 really flattered the Rangers. They got absolutely torn apart in this game and it could have been double figures. Uh, PSV lost missed a lot of chances Jack Butland who I didn't actually know was at Rangers that one passed me by made several very very good saves and um, so yeah so Rangers go into the Europa League and on the evidence of that performance it's probably the best place for them because the financial benefits aside you'd, you'd worry about what might happen to them if they had got into the group stages they obviously have uh, they host Celtic at Ibrox uh, this weekend in the league, so it could a, a bad week could get a lot worse for for Rangers. So, so that's a battle of Joe Hart and Jack Butland. So where do promising goalkeepers of the of twenty ten twenty eleven go? Well, the yeah. answer presumably Rob Green is on the bench for one of them. <laughs> yeah. right? that's got to be the case. Um, uh, Lars Mulder unlucky against uh, Galatasaray. Uh, incredibly unlucky, Galatasaray. In the second half, here were an absolute shambles. Uh, they they couldn't run. I mean, I was I I, I sent a, a message to our mutual friend Andy Brassel, who's like interested in Turkish things, and was like, "What what did they do in preseason? These guys they were they were just completely empty in the in the second half of this game. And if Molda had a little bit more cutting edge going forward, they would have punished them, but they weren't able to do it. And in the end, you know, Galatasaray go through. Having, yeah, winning the game on a deflected free kick and, and a Mario Icardi penalty in the first half. So this is very, very jammy stuff from Galatasaray to, to, to get through here. Very frustrating uh, for us uh, people from the north. Deadman says, did you let James Richardson into Guardian Towers when he left the podcast? Or did you stop him at the front door so he couldn't say goodbye or collect his things? Uh, this is according to The Telegraph that uh, Tottenham wrote an email to Harry Kane, harrykane at hotmail.com, it's got to be, uh, that it would not be appropriate for him to return to the ground before completing the move. It is believed that Ange Postacoglu and the Spurs players have since said their goodbyes to Kane on the phone. But there's like a one big FaceTime that they all sat there and went, what, just waved? Everybody waved. Common practice, though, in the you know in the harsh world of big business, though, that is, you know, you, know, you, yeah, you get locked is. out, you pa- your passcode doesn't go in, you know, that's it. It's- I think the club did say, you know, Harry Kane is always welcome here, but clearly not then. <laughs> Clearing me up now. Um, great news that the Bath City striker Alex Fletcher uh, made his first appearance after suffering uh, that serious head injury when he collided with a con- concrete wall nine months ago. He said, nobody will ever understand how many times I've played out the scenarios in my mind. The next time stepping back onto Twerton Park with the number seven on my back, my next goal, my next win, it truthfully... What's been keeping me going throughout my entire recovery? Um, uh, my surgeon gave me the news that if I made it through the surgery, which was a slim chance as it was, I might not be the same person. I might not have use of my legs. I might not even remember my family because of where the impact was. It is worth, I, I retweeted it. It's worth digging out the, the moment that he came back on the pitch because it, it was uh, uh, you know, obviously quite emotional for him and the players and the fans and everyone. So look, good luck to him. 
Paul says, I very much enjoyed the revelation that Wilson's view on ghosts are outdated. Does this make him a proper ghost man? <laughs> Can we expect an appearance soon on the spectral equivalent of Keys and Gray, presumably to disparage the electromagnetic tech used in modern ghost hunting? Thank you, Paul. A lot of people wanted to get in touch about me calling John the Baptist, Jean Le Baptiste. <laughs> <laughs> Tombo says, I know there are many more important things. I want to hear more about John the Baptist. Uh, Jim Plowman said, uh, some slight damage to the man of the people image during the pod today, accidentally revealing that you only read a French version of the Bible featuring <laughs> Jean the Baptiste. <laughs> Biscam Bauer saying, uh, my memory's failing me. Did John the Baptist get many minutes for France? <laughs> I honestly, I have no idea. I, Barry, I have no idea where... Well, I don't know why we were talking about John the Baptist, but why I started calling him John the Baptist... <laughs> literally because Wilson Wilson suddenly went John the Baptist John the Baptist I've done it again I don't know where what's happened to my brain is it, is it Didier Baptiste of uh, what was that TV programme called the Dream, Dream, Dream Team, Team. Didier. I got it, did I get <laughs> I got muddled up I, I got confused between John the Baptist the Bible and Dream you know, Team yeah, easily the confused. precursor to Jesus yeah and <laughs> Irish uh, listeners will will probably be aware of this, but when John Delaney, before he was, you know, bounced out of the Football Association of Ireland in disgrace, um, there's this sort of gossipy Sunday newspaper in in Ireland called the Sunday Independent, and their showbiz journalist did this incredibly sycophantic puff video oh, documentary yeah. on John Delaney which was called John the Baptist rather than Jean le ah. Baptiste. But um, <laughs> well, I, I, trick, I think you might be I? able to find it on, on YouTube, but it's it's just all these uh, sort of Irish high society people fawning and gushing over what a great football administrator this man is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I could never figure out why they called it John the Baptist. And maybe they should have called it John the Baptiste. Finally, many people got in touch. Um, there's this thing on social media called Fess Hole, which I believe famous people confess, or just people confess to things. It's like, you know, let your secrets be known. And somebody yesterday wrote, I'm part of a small group that run a very successful podcast and have been going for a number of years. The truth is I hate the subject we talk about now, but I feel stuck due to the income. Many people said, was this Barry? <laughs> Barry, have you... <laughs> Have you admitted your secrets to Fesshole? No, I, I I am aware that many people think this was me, and it wasn't. Uh, and the main reason being I wouldn't have done that is because the remuneration I get for this probably isn't as good as a lot of people think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, that'll do for today's podcast. Uh, thank you, Lars. If anything, my crime is being too interested in the football, Max. <laughs> as, yeah, a, it wasn't you. as a transcript of our <laughs> WhatsApp group might uh, <laughs> might reveal. Having managed to double screen Mulder Galatasaray and PSV Rangers while simultaneously getting the highlights of the Carabao Cup second round, you're the hero we all need. Mulder was on, on Tuesday, but I'll take credit for that. Fine. I'll, you know, If any Fair credit enough. you want to give me, justified or not. 
I mean, we didn't talk about Antwerp beating AK Athens. No, we didn't, and we're not going to. <laughs> we're like, to- hey, Toby Alderweireld and Tim Janssen. And, and, and Tim Janssen? Uh, Vincent Janssen going into the Champions League. How I feel you- like this is where you should just fade Lars down, and then like three hours <laughs> later... Richie Delat. Three hours playing. later, you no, could on, fade him up, and he'd, stuff. he'd still be doing it. In fact, we all jump on a Zoom and do the podcast. Lars is just doing this all the time, and we just we just fade him mm. up occasionally. Anyway. Let's uh, say Copenhagen. Oh, God. Um, love you Lars thank you see you guys thanks John thanks thanks Barry thank you Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. this is The Guardian <laughs> 